0: Blog TALK RADIO Celebrating their 20th year in radio broadcasting with views not heard in the news The International Taz and Paula Show interviews experts from all walks of life bridging research and personalized journeys revealing new ways to unleash life with a passion of a heartbeat. And now,
1: here's Taz and Paula. All of our listeners,
2: may you be blessed wherever you are. We have a great day here, and we hope it's a great one for you, too. For 20-plus years now, I've watched our guest, Sheldon Niddle, even in my living room at home, knock on doors we have not even thought of knocking on, and we'll be doing the same today as we bring him into your living space, wherever that may be at the moment. Today, Paula and I have some questions that have arisen, so who do we call on to share with us? (laughs) We'll call him the master of earth's hidden history, as he volleys with it, making it come alive to our senses. He'll also share some amazing future facts we are to experience that is set before all of us just around the corner. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show. I'm Taz.
1: And I'm Paula. Well, Sheldon Nidal is an author, lecturer, physicist, and a UFOET representative that has learned to walk between many worlds, being thoroughly and carefully educated by the Galactic Federation. While many speakers in the New Age community are channeling as a method of obtaining their information, in contrast, Sheldon receives his information directly and clearly via his etheric and physical implants. This method facilitates an ongoing telepathic communication with his ET contacts. Sheldon's life partner, Colleen Marshall, is always by his side, and we are so fortunate to have her with us today. Oh, we are. Sheldon and Colleen, we are ready to take off and flight here. We're going to pretend that you are in our living room at home. Welcome.
2: Welcome.
0: Hello. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's great It's great to have both
1: of you at the same time. This is wonderful.
0: Hello. Yes. Hi, Paula. Hi, Taz. Hi, Colleen. Hi.
2: Well, we trust Hi, you're having a great morning.
0: Yes. How about you, <laughs> Sheldon? Well, actually, we we woke up and we were a little bit groggy. Um, who knows what we were doing last night, but we woke up, both of us, <laughs> on the groggy side and hard to wake up. But uh, that's par for the course these days. Yeah,
1: no kidding. We're
2: being downloaded.
0: Well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's
2: strange dreams. You know, you keep playing around in those dreams. <laughs> well, in previous inputs from your webinars, um as you spoke about other planets throughout the universe, you relayed that there is uh, not one other planet where individuals live on the outside of the planet. That's amazing. How did that happen? and what was Well, the purpose? most
3: of them are like that. Those that are fully conscious don't do that. Those that aren't uh, tend to live on the outside. Huh. Our planet is unique because uh, we originally started out with a civilization that uh, was both above and in inner Earth. So... When uh, the Atlanteans uh, destroyed the uh, surface world of the Lemurians, they immediately shut down the outer world. So we have lived for roughly around 13 millennia uh, on the surface.
2: Huh. Uh, and so, what was the purpose in allowing us to use the outside of Mother Earth? Was there any direct purpose?
3: Well, the Atlanteans felt more at home on the surface world than on the inside world because they were doing a lot of traveling and interacting with peoples, you I'd say the dark peoples from different parts of this galaxy. As a result, they tended to prefer being on the outside rather than being on the inside. And since we were kind of their lab rats, uh, we wound up being on the outside as well.
1: Hmm. So it's easier for them to travel and connect with the outer worlds. It sounds like.
3: Well, other solar systems, other parts of the galaxy. Yeah.
2: So, are there other planets that are not what you say conscious? Actually, have people living on the outside of it presently?
3: Well, they they do, but most of them are part of the old Encharaan uh, Alliance, which was the dark side, as you want it. To- using the Star Wars technology. <laughs> they were from the dark side.
0: Sheldon, does, on those planets, are they still third dimension, only they're more advanced technologi- technologically? Uh,
3: exactly, my love, exactly. One of huh. the things they want to do is get their light bodies, and when they do that, they know they will then be in a different situation, so they'll probably move their civilization back into the inside as other fully conscious uh, societies do.
2: Well, there's many people at this point then beside ourselves working toward the same aspect as far as being more conscious. I, for there's some there's reason, there's I, I I didn't even anticipate that 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 is the case.
3: There um, is a tremendous enlightenment going on across this galaxy. The. And Char Alliance at one time, which did wars for millions and millions of years across this galaxy, has had a peace treaty signed with the Galactic Federation now for about 20 years. So what they are doing, bit by bit, is moving from this uh, roam, like roaming uh, war parties across the galaxy, they are moving into a more peaceful, more highly conscious reality. So yes, there has been a tremendous increase in all of in all of this enlightenment across this across this galaxy this galaxy actually is in the process of moving from being mostly dark to being mostly light right now
1: well does, that's a does huge that,
3: cause,
1: that change is that causing um, it's evolving just and and when something evolves sometimes
3: it,
1: it creates something chaotic is that happening now
3: Well, they they initially their first uh, almost two decades has been a lot of chaotic in in various of these groups because originally there were these star empires and the people in charge of each empire were ruling it. I was again to use an analogy like uh like in Star Wars this very dark evil energy and now all of this energy is changing. They have given up and they are now allowing the light. To guide them toward the process of how to successfully move from being creatures without light bodies to being creatures with. And the second thing is that the the dark side has actually retreated from their situation and formally declared this peace and signed off on these peace treaties. So actually, we are in a transition, as I said, moving from, from mostly dark to light. And so the the wars that went on for millions of years across this galaxy are no more, which is, I would have to say, yay to because, a lot of the memories that we have, for instance, with Star Wars, is that kind of stuff—the dark versus the light—that all duality is ending right now.
2: How do people get to the point where I mean, they say they're you know in a negative aspect? What induces them to want to? Go to the good side. Are they seeing what we see as a planet as well? And what are those planets? And who are who are those planets that you're talking about?
3: Well, most of them are the members of the Federation, and they're they're planets from constellations that just about every one of us know: uh, Andromeda, the Pleiades, uh, from uh, from Sirius, from oh, just about all the major ones: Centaurus, et cetera. So you can. You can see if you look across at all these star groupings that there are lots of groups that are based upon the light and that have been for millennia. Uh-huh.
1: Are there uh are there ones who are not in the treaty or in the agreement?
3: Well, initially there were some neutrals, but that's all been taken care of because we've had roughly 20 years since the declaration. As a result, uh there was some sorting out and now that's all been taken care of, and there's been additional treaties signed. So the only thing going on out there right now is peace. And that's what we have to realize is that peace is going on out there and that uh, there's no worries about an invasion. There's no worries about being taken advantage of. What we need to really understand deeply inside ourselves is that we are moving toward becoming galactic humans again, uh, fully conscious beings of light, And that's what we're in the midst of right now. And so what we see on our planet is this last, final, massive struggle. Because once this final struggle is done, what you have then is just light. It's just peace, cooperation, and moving up in consciousness now just at at not a set rate, but at an increasing acceleration. And that is really what the ones from heaven who are in, in charge of enforcing the divine plan really wish. And so... That is happening right now. It's going at its own pace because, let's face it, the ones who have been in charge of this joint for a long time do not want anything less than what they've already had and had for millennia. So this last point is based upon them understanding, realizing, to use the old uh, movie term, the jig is up and the game right now is to understand that surrender is not some divisive attitude. It is actually growing in who you are consciously and understanding the process. And this is something that the dark is beginning to understand but still is fighting in its own way. But we're just about done with that. We've gotten to the point where they realize that the game is up because they don't have... The facilities they once had their monies do not work, no monies. it's like that old uh uh dry cleaning th- Chinese thing you know <laughs> <laughs> so so it's no working, no money, so um they're beginning to discover that they all oh, they still can do uh, the kind of nefarious stuff they used to do, you know some mercenaries, try to create some wars, but none of it is creating the affect. Normally they would do this stuff and uh, wars would break out around the world. Uh, The concepts that were attempting to work for peace would have to uh, lay back again. None of that is happening right now. So the result is they realize they are fading away and now they just have to give up and that is going to happen shortly. So we're at the edge of that. We're right at the verge of it. Until we get completely past this edge It won't be seen because one of the things that the uh, Federation and the families on this planet and various others have agreed to is we're not going to run into a new reality until all of these people, every single one of them, is gone. So there's no chance for somebody to suddenly uh, use their abilities to create a little bit of chaos. They don't really want any more chaos as far as the light goes. It wants It wants us to go forward. It wants it to go forward fast and quickly, and it wants people to be able to finally let go and say, "Yeah, it's over." Until sure,
2: with the dimensional shifting on the planet um, and the frequencies and that kind of thing, and our bodies becoming more crystalline structure, that means. Everyone, isn't it? Everyone having that crystalline structure formed in them as well, and is the light not also igniting those individuals that have pre- that have previously been in a negative context? So maybe they're they're coming to the light because of that as well.
3: They are, but unfortunately for us, it's slowly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, so they have to uh, move along the same plateau or they don't remain here on earth, basically. Is that right?
3: Well, they understand uh, what's going on. They don't like it. It's like somebody who goes to court and thinks they're going to win and gets a totally bad decision and has to live with it. So they are still not quite fully wanting to live with it. They're saying, I must have somewhere... Down in that dark coal bin, there's got to be something left. There's got to be something. And, of course, that's why it's so slow, because they keep hoping that somehow they can figure out. And, of course, they have been able up until recently to keep these little sudden delays, because the way the systems of money transference on this planet work, if there's any kind of stuff that isn't in full order, uh, it stops. So that's what they've been doing. They've been playing these little delay games.
1: Hmm. Is there a timeline? (laughs) Uh,
3: It should be over. It should just about be over. I'm hoping that uh, in the next few weeks, hopefully a day or two, uh, it's done.
0: Sheldon, you know, when you were talking about the third dimension, is is our whole galaxy going into the fifth dimension?
3: Our whole galaxy is going into
0: the fifth dimension. And, And I think that... Uh, Taz made a really good point that I often get letters about. And everybody who's on the planet is shifting. We just need to remove them from the power positions that they have and allow them to um, shift.
3: Right. We just have to put them off in a corner and call it a club fit or whatever (laughs) and let them them grow.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, allow forgiveness, too. I mean, really, they... They've been doing this, and I think they were captured in certain ways mentally when they first began all of this. So, it's it's like people understanding where everything is coming from, isn't that right?
3: Well, they more than anybody else do exactly understand where it's coming from. And but the other,
1: I mean, people like
3: like us or yeah, the other stuff.
1: Yeah, would it help to send them light energy or good energy? Would that speed things along?
3: It has, but unfortunately, for as far as I concern, I'm Mr. Yesterday. Uh, please make it tomorrow. Uh, no more. Um, they are taking. They've. Uh, let's just take some money transfers that coming on. It's taken a few months to get it done. So, this is what I'm talking about. They're they're just slowing things down, not really stopping it per se, but just slowing it down so that. It doesn't go from A to B easily, and that's what they are doing. Once the lines are clearly established and, uh, you might say, done, then the whole process becomes changed because now they know that there is stuff that's getting through, and that means that soon there will be lots of things getting through. And that, that changes the whole game, and they know that. That means that the structures of power that they have enjoyed for millennia suddenly are going to tumble down like uh like a very bad building in an earthquake so they know that they're just hoping and hoping and hoping and that's I wish that they would have been trained differently but they are trained to go on to the end like they're like some uh a uh, football player that may be down 53 to nothing and they're still playing well because The word stop does not exist in their vocabulary. That, unfortunately, are these guys.
2: (laughs) Wow. Recently, I heard someone speak about the third through the sixth dimension, saying that the third dimension as we know it has severe negative and positive energies, which we are aware of, while the fourth dimension, they say, is diminished somewhat to the third. Um, And the fifth still has some duality, but diminished considerably. And then they also said that the sixth dimension ha- is the only dimension that has positive frequencies all the way through. Which, um, And so I'm asking you, um, is this so?
3: No, I would say, judging on my experiences and teachings, that uh, the fifth and above is very positive because these people that live in it are physical angels. You do not expect angels uh, that are following uh, the rules of the divine plan to be negative. So that's okay. where I would be with it.
0: Well, the <laughs> fifth dimension, honey, what what would you say is it's like we're duality. I always was taught that the fifth dimension would be about oneness. And they were also, where the confusion can come from is... The Anunnaki were from the fifth dimension, but they played this part. But I always saw it as they volunteered to play that part so that the divine plan can unfold.
3: That's very well put, my dear, yes. The Anunnaki basically decided, they were mostly uh, Pleiadians and Centaurians, rebels. They saw this as a beautiful little game, so they decided to play with it. And, of course, they made it pact with themselves that said that when... This whole thing did shift immensely, as it has in the last few decades. They would change their process of how they looked at it, and they would uh, totally uh, get positive, which is what they did. If uh, the minions or illuminoids or whatever you wish to call these people uh, had listened to them when they changed in 94 or 95, think of the world we'd be living in right now. (laughs)
2: Yeah! Wow. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, one time my daughter woke up from a dream and she saw my mother and dad um, in a big two-story right beside the ocean, and they mm-hmm. and my mom and dad drove up in a little MG, which is hilarious because my father's six foot two, mm-hmm. and I'm sure he weighs over two hundred pounds. Anyhow, so um, here, here are my. Um, uh, father and mother drive up, in and in a little MG and my daughter says, Mom, I could really touch them. It was a real dream. And boy, they were happy. She said, The waves are crashing on the car. I was concerned, she said, that the car was going to get all wet. <laughs> and so, but, and then um, she said, Grandma and Grandpa just assured me everything was beautiful and that they were really happy where they were. Now, my question is, were they in fourth dimension or fifth dimension? Do we really know?
3: Well, most people, when they're going through the uh, reincarnation cycle, they mostly wind up in the fourth. And if the cycle is long enough, they uh, they don't try to go for the incarnation program. They go uh, out a little ways, so they get into kind of, you might say, the the fifth dimensional, sixth dimensional realm, which is entirely different. And, of course, is joyous and beautiful. The fourth is all about the nature of lives on this place. And as a result, you're constantly going over justifications, the reasons why, because everybody has their own life plan, and they have to see how each life plan, in other words, each life they lived here, uh, what was done positively, negatively, what was completed in their plan, what wasn't. It's a whole different reality. There is some negative stuff in the fourth. It's a bridge, as Colleen has said. But if they're enjoying it more, they probably have reached a point where they get to see uh, brief but wonderful episodes of Being in the Fifth, which is, of course, uh, all positive, and it's about unity, unity consciousness, as it's called. And as a result of that, they are no longer looking at the, at life as being something about good and bad, duality. They're just looking upon the good, the light, and all what that means,
2: yeah, living in the moment, <laughs> letting the waves crash on your so,
3: arm. <laughs> right, exactly. Because you so don't when, care. Because the concept in the fifth, especially, is that if any stuff happens that causes some disaster, you can you can use your imagination to manifest whatever it is that you need to correct it.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying, once we go through the shift there will be no need for reincarnation. That's what it sounds like. Is that true?
3: Yeah, that is, because basically we have an immortal soul. The body that we live in right now has been shifted by making its RNA, DNA uh, under a bunch of uh, various markers that create aging and death. So that gives us a limited life. And also we are get cut off when we're in this body from a lot of the information and wisdom that comes from easily being able to talk to people in spirit. So the result of all of that is you've got a very limited concept of your life, and you're, of course, caught completely in the way in which life on this planet is lived. In other words, to talk about money, debt, and all that stuff. But once you're beyond all of that and you get into back into your mortal aspects of your reality, all that goes away. And so if you need to manifest something, you just focus on it, and it happens almost instantaneously. So you do not live in the realm anymore that has any degree of limitations. You learn that your power, as long as you are one with the life plan and all the stuff that you set up with your angels and guardians, you can go on and it's a wonderful, magnificent, every day is more magnificent and wonderful. You understand the nature and the need of grace and blessings, and you—you are always in joy because joy is the highest highest aspects of of life in that reality.
2: Hmm. Are there any others besides the Agarthans who live in the center of Mother Earth?
3: Well, we have to understand the Agarthans were the originals. They were the—they are the remnants of the original civilization that Lemuria was that landed here about nine hundred thousand years ago. When the Atlanteans attacked and forced them inside, the only people that they have let in was from time to time certain groups in various golden ages were able to get inside and the Agarthans let them stay there. So many of them have been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and have developed their abilities, have gotten out of the, the karma reincarnation cycle and are have worked their way back to being uh, beings who are at oneness with what the Agarthans are about. And the Agarthans are very happy because they looked at them and they saw that they had indeed this potential and that that was the process that they wanted to do once they got inside. So they let them inside and bingo, they started doing that. And so there's the Agarthans are many types. The majority are those, as I said, that are the remnants from the original Amoria and the original colonies that came down. And that the Atlanteans changed, so they have magnificent reality of peace and positiveness, and the groups that have been let in are have followed that same route,
2: so they're benevolent then
3: mhm
2: that's interesting um so are they so are they from other planets at all i mean um that live there as well?
3: Well, we have to remember there are about 45 or 50 uh, planets that were that colonized initially Lemuria on in our planet on the surface and also in the, on the inside. So we are all children of those ancient ancestors. The only thing that has changed is that the Atlanteans changed some of the basic ways in which our RNA DNA was constructed. So when you get changed, you become who your ancestors were, which is the wonderful thing, and that's why they are here, because they have been told by heaven that it is time now to go forth and recreate the original aspects of everyone, and and it's time to use the crystal light chambers to change all those markers back into what they originally were and allow all of us to become these fully conscious galactic humans that I like to talk about.
2: Hmm. Uh, Sheldon, you say that um, we'll have an opportunity to speak with our mentors before entering Agartha. And um, will our mentors from Agartha inform us of the truth of our origin at that time, if we ask?
3: Sure. One of the things they want to do is get us into a position where we feel truthful and comfortable about asking anything we want to do or ask about anything we know. We're going to learn about our history We're going to learn more about who we were in past lives than we ever knew before. They want to set it up for us to fully understand what this process of of karma or the reincarnation cycles were all about, why we did them, and to prepare ourselves for transforming these markers inside of us through these crystal light chambers into totally being again what we were meant to be before this little accident happened in Atlantis and become galactic humans all over again. We have are, there any, uh, Sorry, say, are there
1: any of these mentors uh, in physical form now um, helping getting things organized for this?
3: Uh, they are getting things organized, but they are mostly inside. They have a number of bases in Agartha, but right now until the landings happen, all the people who have been assigned to this uh, rather difficult but rather interesting position of mentor have been trained for it, are concentrating on the people or persons that they're going to be dealing with, they haven't really done anything more than the preliminaries because they will be introduced when the landings happen, which, of course, as you know, haven't happened yet.
2: Yeah. When we go to inner Earth or even beforehand, will we be able to view other forms of opportunities that would be available for our journey in supporting the universe on this side before making a permanent decision before entering Agartha?
3: Right, because that's one of the things that the Ascendant Masters as well as the Federation want to do with their announcements is to teach us some lessons. The Ascendant Masters want to get us to fully understand exactly the differences between who we are now and who we were long ago in Atlantis when this all happened to us. So once we understand that, we can then understand more of the concepts of why We are who we are today. So that allows us to get a better grip, I think, on ourselves because I've noticed when I was up there, when I was younger, it it really helped to see it, to understand the process better. You know, when you have your experiences and you can use the mentor's abilities to show it to you and make it real because you have a trust factor between the two of you, you begin to develop a process that allows you to take all this added information on and some of it is going to be paradigm shifting. So it's going to be very difficult because it means that a lot of the stuff that you were taught when you were a kid, whether it's religion or any history or whatever, whatever stuff it was that was really important to you, all of a sudden you have to transform all that information and change it into what is reality because one of the things the Anunnaki did as part of their task because they wanted to make sure that there was complete control between themselves and you is they manipulated and changed everything around and there is some truth in in all of this, of course. It's probably about three-quarters manipulation, one-quarter truth. So there is some of that in there, but it's very difficult to sift through and figure it out Totally what the mentor's job is, and the Ascendant Masters with their lessons want to do, is give us that lost wisdom back. So we can look at ourselves in a new light. We can see who we really are. And we can begin to uh, change and shift toward understanding the truth and shifting away from the manipulated aspects, the misinformed facts, etc. So that's That's what the mender's job is. That's why it's going to not happen like three weeks and you go inside. It's going to take months because we have to develop a rapport. We have to take this amazing amount of information and we have to actually do a paradigm shift. And, of course, a massive paradigm shift is difficult. It's like losing a parent. It is very difficult. They understand that. But they understand that if you have, like, the proper grief counselor, it really helps. So that's what they want to be, basically, is allowing us to change our perceptions, go through all the stages that's needed to correct all of that, and just be there to have, you might say, that shoulder to lean on, that energy, that backup, that support system. And that's what they really understand they have to do, which is why it requires but they really get to know us in terms of our dossiers, in terms of who we are, what we like, what we don't like, what we think of ourselves, what kind of a uh, confidence about ourselves do we have, what do we think about, what do we know about our histories, etc. All that that stuff, you know, myriads of things. We have to go through that. We have to look at it. It's difficult. It's very difficult. I understand that.
2: Sheldon, what about... You know if somebody becomes conscious uh does that not entail being able to see all that happened beforehand so that they can see the history of where things became so?
3: Well, the part you get is that you totally become able to accept things that before you wouldn't have It's just like now if you take if you take any facts. From, let's say, 20 years ago, and you look at where you are right now, you can see that you've shifted because of this consciousness change. Yeah. Now, think of that whole process being inundated with about 100 times more data or stuff, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Now, look at how no. that will... Suddenly, all that, it's like... It's like you go into a room and it looks bare and you say, oh, it's going to be easy. And then all of a sudden you turn on the light and you see all the stuff in storage. And that, and you've got to go over that because you have to label it, you have to understand what it means, and you have to decide at the Jeez. appropriate time to discard it. And that that process is difficult because we filtering. humans right now, limited conscious humans, tend to hold on to stuff. It yeah, doesn't the, matter if we have a history with it, we tend to hold on to it.
2: Well, the filtering system gets clogged.
0: <laughs> you know, Sheldon, i that was the first time I heard you say it about the grief. And when my mother died, even though she was 86, so I, I you know, was ready to have her leave, and yet it was a, such a profound grief of the loss and I just realized that I will grieve um, planet Earth as she is now, even though I look forward to the future. And so that just really struck me. And I wanted to let everybody know that Sheldon has lots of webinars. You can go to our website, www.paoweb.com. That's com. And one of the ones where he talks about everything he's just been saying. It's called Galactic Prophecy for Humanity. So if you're really interested in this subject, um, that would be a good one. Anyway, <laughs> moving along, I, <laughs> I just really got stuck in that grief.
2: Wow. I never thought well, I was
0: going to grieve uh, leaving this planet. But all of a sudden
1: well, I realized I, when I you,
0: will.
3: Right, we, when you were we talking about it, the it,
1: grief, when you when you were talking about the grief, I was thinking about nature and animals. I mean, are they mm-hmm. going to go through the shift with us, or are we going to lose that?
3: Uh, they're going to go through the shift in a slightly different place, but they will be back, and they will be different. For instance, when we're galactic humans, we can take a, a dog or a cat, whatever we were close to, and suddenly that animal no longer looks upon us as just this thing there that we like it suddenly becomes a part of us. We we can talk to them. They can talk to us. We can communicate on the most uh, subtle aspects of life. It's like they can give us a comment on what we what they think of us and stuff like that. <laughs> wow. But we we have to remember they will be doing a different kind of uh shift because they have to be pulled up into a different uh level of shift because you know the entire planet Uh, plants and animals, from the smallest all the way up to the big ones like the redwoods, have to be saved. And what is going to happen is that we are going to see a pristine world. So a lot of the creatures, whether they're trees and plants or animals, are going to be back. But the whole difference is, once you become a galactic human, you take on abilities that allow you not only to see them, in a new light. But you can talk to them, and they can actually have uh, thought conversations, which are a lot different than regular conversations. When you're in a thought conversation, you can you can take all this material, visualize it that you can't when you're just talking, and analyze what you're doing with it uh, simultaneously. So there can be comments upon how you see things, or how they see things and this is something that uh, galactic humans do every day when they see their their environment it is interacting with them so they just don't see a plant or a tree or a a driveway or whatever they see they see stuff that interacts with them so anything they see in front of them whether it's a plant or an animal or whatever they react with it now how you react with your environment uh different groups of galactic humans have basic cultural ethos about how to do that or not, and, and how do how do you do it? Like, Syrians tend to just want to have the environment there. Pleiadians want to react any, uh, to a certain extent, whereas, like, Andromedans want to go all the way. They want to help them become a better environment. So they'll interact with them in a more aggressive manner. So really, it really depends upon the basic aspects of how you interact with one another and as you do that every day that's why uh, galactic humans like to go in places where there's not a lot of stimulus. They like to because that's how they rest they they go away from this overload of 24 hour 7 stimulus and interacting with it. Whether it's just saying hi or whatever or doing something more than that. They They like to just sit down and just let all that stimulus go away that's why you'll have rooms on the ships that are would probably drive a lot of people on this planet crazy because there's there's no reaction whatsoever it's like a it's like a blank wall with no electrical anything on it and they just sit in that room and they just they just think about what they're doing because they like to be able to talk to their spiritual aspects they like to talk to their guides they just want to just kind of, you might say, unload everything, and they just want to be in a position where they can sit down again and and understand their connection to everything. So that when they do actually get connected again, their whole process is they can take it on because they've had a chance to kind of review it all. Just like we need we need a lot of sleep because when we don't have it, it messes up our our cycles every day.
2: Yeah. Um, I want to ask you something about inner Earth. Are there stars viewable in Agartha?
3: Only if you stand at the uh, polar exits. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: I can um, go on the surface any time to oh, see sure. the
3: stars. Because their beings, who are galactic humans, what they can do is they can they can be down in their crystal city and they can say. I feel like, if at night time, I would like to go to some place and just sit down and create a field around me so there's isolation, so I don't have any problems about having to interact with things. And I just want to just look at the stars and think about the spiritual aspects of it all. They can do that. I mean, they can go from being 400 miles down to being on the surface in a matter of seconds because they understand how to move their light bodies around.
2: Okay, and you also say that Agartha has its own central sun.
3: Right, it does, which is the core of our planet, right.
2: So what happens to the sun on the outside of Mother Earth when we are inside? Does it remain?
3: No, the sun isn't there at all. We can just feel the energies from it, of course. But the important thing is we see this diffuse light, central energy, always luminous uh, core, and it's there all the time. And it feeds and gives us energy, because when the sun does its interaction with our planet, it primarily is interacting with the core. So when you see the energy from the core, you can feel the solar energy, but you can also feel more, which is the different forms of interdimensional energy streaming into the core. So... It gives you life. It makes you feel good. It helps you understand the nature of what's going on. It's a wonderful interactive. So the other thing they like is that in the core, all the life on our planet interacts with the core. So if you can draw into that energy, you can feel everything on the planet as much as if you were standing on the surface, which is why fully conscious beings uh, stay on the inside because they want to have... A, the isolation when they want to, and two, they want to observe the beauty when they ever want to. And this is one of the things, when you're a fully conscious being, you just set up a field around you, a field of love. And if you wish to be isolated for a little while, no matter what creature comes running by on the surface, it will do that, it will honor you. Because we're all, we're all conscious beings. Even a little ant crawling along, along the dirt is a conscious being.
2: Hmm is it going to have a moon?
3: No, it's on the inside. The, there are there is there's our artificial satellite on the outside which we call the moon, but that's where that's the only thing up there.
2: And that's the one that we see, right?
0: Right. And we'll yeah. be going back to a two moon system. Right.
3: Exactly. So which where will the those original... two moons
2: be? Where will those two moons be?
3: Well, roughly If you look at where the moon is right now, if you were to look at the moon, you would see, if you were to go like, um, they're just a little, the two moons are a little bit out of phase. One of the things that the Apollo astronauts discovered, which is something which is not talked about because it's kept secret, is NASA discovered that there are these two little hooks being created in the orbit of the moon which are the? It's actually going to be the genesis points for this for the recreation of these two original natural moons of our of our Earth, and of course the Earth knows that the moon that we have will be going back to its original home, which is it was the fifth moon of what of what uh, they want to be called Pax, which a lot of people know, know know from its history as Maldek, and this is of course today. Is the, is the asteroid belt. But it will be recreated and become this extremely large water planet. And the name they would like to use right now for it is Pax, which means peace in Latin. Because all the planets are basically named after uh, Roman gods. Like, for instance, the, the lost planet is Vulcan, which was the Roman god of fire and volcanism.
2: So you say we will have two real moons. They're going to recreate moons now for us, the original?
3: Right, exactly.
2: Wow. And they'll be on the
1: outside of our planet?
3: They will be on the outside, yes.
1: Hmm. Uh, the ones who are inside the planet at this moment, uh, do they come up to the surface? Uh, you said we, once we go in, we can go back up. Are they doing that now?
3: They do that all the time. And as a matter of fact, there are there are many of them that have volunteered to do one thing, which is simply to observe us. They have people who are trained all the time to come up and just spend a decade or two here and observe. And they do that because it's part of a process that the Agarthans have done for millennia, which is their their little way of checking on us, because they have all kinds of uh, Psychological and other uh, markers that they use, and so what these uh, beings who volunteered from from Agartha to do is to come here and just gather around, get some friends, uh, get family, and just see what's going on and compare with others. So when they come back, they compare, and so all during generations and generations and generations, we can see. Uh, the Agarthans can, uh, what progress is being made on this planet by many people, and that's what they want to see. And so the, the Federation, when they came here, immediately understood that there was these massive intergenerational dossiers that the Agarthans had, had kept. And so you could then get an idea of where we all are on the surface about where, do, where we see ourselves, uh, where are we in this wheel of karma, what's our life contracts look like, stuff like that.
0: But they they came, they walked among us, and they came and had, like, regular jobs, not mm-hmm. not even special jobs. They might be, you know, at the grocery store, um, the clerk at the grocery store, right? Exactly. Yeah, which is fascinating. So, Sometimes I think, gee, you have a really interesting energy. I wonder if you're in a Garcin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's uh, some young. people
1: that come into our lives like for maybe, this, maybe, a month or so and then they leave and that you, you remember them forever because they gave you a message or you just felt that certain energy like you said Colleen and maybe, maybe we've been interacting with them
3: exactly we never really know we can sense it I've been fortunate that some of them have actually gone out of their way and explained to me what they're doing Wow! I know that I'm not going to say anything <laughs>
2: <laughs> well the other day i was at starbucks and i couldn't believe uh two uh, one man came in he was about seven and a half feet tall he was huge very tall very slender i mean he was like i'm going wow <laughs> i was standing up i stood up just to see what the good uh, the uh difference was and then I sat back down and he waited he had his, his laptop and then his girlfriend or whoever it was came in and she was likewise she was at least seven feet tall I just kind of like <laughs> I thought, I know they're not from here
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fun.
2: it was just a funny feeling anyhow Recently, I've been seeing quite a few what I call cloud ships in the sky. I've Mm -hmm. seen them over San Francisco Bay. I've seen them going to Las Gatas about a month ago. And sometimes one at a time, one at a time I see them, or I see stacks of clouds like pancakes in perfect form. So I found somewhere where it gave a description on what was happening. And the description said, They said that the ship comes into the condensation level of our atmosphere. The heat field around the ship condenses the molecules of the atmosphere into a cloud. And the result is that the gravity field retains the cloud around the ship, spinning it around in its line of force. Mm
3: -hmm. Did
2: I give a poor description of that?
3: No, that was (laughs) a good general one, yeah.
2: Okay, the description I saw called it an inorganic cloud because it is created by the spaceship,
0: mm-hmm. and as
2: she moves, the cloud goes with her. This right. sounds like a very good form of camouflage, right?
0: <laughs>
3: right. Sometimes though, they do they do things that are odd, like you know, the winds normally the prevailing winds normally go uh, uh, west to east. So, in a lot of cases, if you're looking at like left to right or from top to bottom, and you notice that one of these clouds or a couple of them are doing just the opposite—they're going against the wind path. And that's when you really know that cloud shift.
1: <laughs> now, uh, you, uh, Colleen and Sheldon are close to where I am, and the thunderstorm the other day, uh, other night. Uh, did you go outside and look at the clouds during that th- thunderstorm?
3: No, I usually stay inside during a thunderstorm. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, the moon was mostly away from us. But uh... oh, it was right there. I just... Go ahead,
0: Paula. Several of my friends sent me pictures saying, "Is this a ship? Is this a ship?"
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I saw some clouds that looked like the possibility.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting. I kept getting texts. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You <laughs> you're on the call all the time. <laughs> yeah. So um does does the Air Force take infrared uh, photographs of these uh, circular and rotating clouds?
3: Right, they they do. They even have ships, you know, satellites going around and they when they see any kind of area where there's where it's cloudy, that's what the satellite does. It will do regular light, infrared, et cetera.
2: Well, when I see those stacks of pancakes, I literally mean four three or four in height and they are cut and chiseled just like um UFOs on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um I, what is there a role that these um particular ships play when they when they're stacked a lot of like them that?
3: Our our um motherships, atmospheric motherships, their job is to uh, protect and oversee the missions of the scout ships. So, if you have a few of them, you know there's a lot of scout ships that are that are cloaked in the area. What they they do is they just raise their frequency to a level where they can't be seen.
0: And what are they doing? They're they're like monitoring the um, the air quality and what else?
3: They're doing all the standard stuff that you would expect a scientist to do there. They're monitoring the air, they're monitoring the oceans, they're monitoring the Earth itself, down many, many layers of strata. They are doing the same thing with the ocean bottom. They're basically getting a complete multi-dimensional picture of what's going on around the surface area of our planet and a little bit below it. And they're continually doing this because what they can do is keep this, keep these things in motion for as long as they want to and see how the phenomenon plays out and that is one of uh the things they do. Another thing is they're observing our civilization. They're looking continually at all the uh things going on in Other words they have the ability to monitor even the most the most uh cryptographic uh what do you say, satellite not satellite but uh laptop, computers. Uh they can translate languages instantaneously. They have they have a complete opening. There there's there's not any kind of of stuff that the various defense groups around this, of many nations around this world, have the ability to completely uh, block them out. They are to to them, our civilization is like something from you know thousands of years ago. They are far beyond it, and what they are doing with it is just continually sampling what's going on. In other words. How does each nation react to one another? What is happening? If there's any situation that could lead to any kind of nuclear concept, they immediately put ships in that area to make sure nothing serious happens. If there's earthquakes that might affect certain areas, uh, they work to lessen it. We've got to remember that even when you get a seven earthquake, it could have been a, an eight. Uh, the problem with our planet right now it is hyperactive because... Basically, the Earth is walking on eggshells, so to speak, because this is taking longer than she had given general agreements to, and so she's being forced to maintain a degree of stability, and that gets to be more and more difficult. That's why, because the air is getting worse, the water is getting worse, the soil is getting worse, the ravaging of the planet is getting worse every day. So the situation is taking on more and more difficulties for her. And so what they're doing basically are two things. One, they're overseeing everything, and two, where it is necessary to make certain degrees of adjustment, they do, and where they see certain things have to happen that will allow for the pressure to be taken off. They will allow it, but try to make it as lesser. But, of course, our technologies in many parts of this world are hundreds of years old, and so any kind of a shake causes difficulties.
2: Colleen, would you please um, give the website out? And also, you spoke about a particular um, DVD. Oh, yeah, you want to say say also about the webinar
0: coming up. Yeah, we have a webinar coming up on Sunday, June 21st at 12 o'clock Pacific. And uh, then there's a repeat on Thursday, June 25th. So if you can't come Sunday, you can come Thursday, and that would be in the evening. We offer the same presentation on two different dates and times to cover as many time zones around the world because it is is attended by people all around the world. And this month, June, it's on synchronicity, embracing the flow of life. And when you really think about it, we are um, moving to access higher dimensions of our minds and our hearts. And so Sheldon's going to talk about how we can do that. And We're being asked to celebrate the synchronicities of life to pay attention because that's all part of awakening and becoming fully conscious. So he'll be talking about your heart logic and honing your intuition and why that is so important, and also how the indigos are what they're here to teach us. So it'll be really a good um, webinar. And uh, like I said, that's Sunday, June 21st, and you can go to p a o w e b dot com that's p a o web dot com and um you can find out more information on all of that. We also have all the archives of all the webinars and there's a um preview a video so you can go there and just look at the preview video uh which is um a youtube video and it gives a lot of information and I think you'll enjoy doing that.
2: Also, when you attend both events, at the end, there's questions that are different on both days. So it's really That's nice to attend.
3: <laughs> That's
0: true. We have about 150 people who come to both, Sunday and Thursday, because they say Sheldon uh, presents it slightly different, and then the Q&As at the end of the last uh, 20 minutes or so, uh, he answers your questions. They're always different because it's geared to the audience, Um Sheldon gets downloaded as to what to say to each audience. Even though he's got a general uh, idea of what it's going to be about, it's always delivered slightly different.
2: Yeah, yeah. With all the downloads, you must be heavy, Sheldon.
0: (laughs) 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 No wonder you don't
2: want to lift off the earth. Uh, Thank you both for being with us. It's been just awesome. And... um, Taking time out of your busy schedule, we know that both of you are preparing for everything, and the wonderful old oh, newsletters that you put out, oh yeah, updates every week, oh
0: yeah, Sheldon mm-hmm. puts out a weekly update that's free of charge. You can go to our website again p a o w e b dot com or just google Sheldon's name, and you'll find him and um, you can sign up to receive that or just read it on our up on our website. And it's a weekly update from the Galactic Federation and the uh, Spiritual Hierarchy, usually the Ascended Masters. Our,
2: our heart wow. goes out to both of you. We love you so much. And thank you again for being with us today. and Thank so, you for all
3: your hard work. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. As they say in Syrian Zazuma. And
2: Zazuma. Okay. Blessings. And Have a time great time
3: week. Enjoy. Right.
2: Thank you, Colleen. Bye
3: now. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Salam alaikum.